This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Amy Dunphy. Now, the behaviour of Donald Trump since he ever became a presidential candidate and subsequently president and throughout the term that Joe Biden is serving as American president, Mr. Trump's behaviour has cast a very long shadow over American politics and beyond indeed. And this week, with the... 2024 presidential election, a long way away, 15, 14 or 15 months. Trump is still continuing to present the United States with a problem it has never encountered before. On Monday, the judge in one of the four trials that he faces, this one being a federal case related to January 6th, the U.S. District Judge Tanya Chutkan announced jury selection in the trial would begin on March the 4th, which is the biggest day on the Republican primary calendar because it's one day before what's known as Super Tuesday. People were surprised that she chose that date, Republicans, of course, and Trump himself, accusing her of some form of conspiracy. Also this week, two of the Proud Boys, a white supremacist militia group were sentenced in relation to seditious conspiracy to 15 years and 17 years respectively were the sentences handed down. And of course, the whole world is waiting to see the outcome of next year's American election because so much depends on it, not just in the United States, but across the world and specifically in Ukraine, where Vladimir Putin is pursuing a war. We're joined now from Washington by Niall Stanich, Niall's associate editor of The Hill newspaper and White House columnist for The Hill. Niall, let's deal with the Proud Boys who were sentenced to 15 years and 17 years. They were senior figures in The Proud Boys. You might just remind us of who The Proud Boys are and of something that Donald Trump said during his debate with Joe Biden that links him to the Proud Boys. 
Yeah, that's right. The uh, Proud Boys are a, a far-right group, um, really a sort of quasi-militia, I suppose you would say, Eamon. Um, there are, now, that is not to say that every single person who's involved with them is involved in uh, physical or armed action, but they were very much involved in January the 6th. Their precise ideology is difficult really to um, identify or to state in a very cogent way. But the comment that you're referring to is a debate between President Trump, but he then was, and then candidate Joe Biden, in which Trump instructed the Proud Boys to, uh, if my recollection is correct, stand back and stand by awaiting the result of the 2020 election. Given that the um, the election, th- that that comment was made at a time when Trump was already preparing the ground to contest the legitimacy of the election, it came to be seen as a very ominous remark and one that sort of uh, presaged what ultimately would happen on January the 6th. Yes, of course. Now, this week, Tanya Chutkan, the judge who will hear his case in Washington, this is a case taken by Jack Smith, the prosecutor. It relates to January 6th and... It is a hugely important case. Jack Smith wanted a trial date in January coming. She didn't give him what he wanted in that respect, but Trump and his lawyers wanted it to be put back until 2026, and she wasn't having any of that, and she made her decision. In terms of the proximity of the trial beginning, or jury selection beginning actually on March 4th, the proximity of that to Super Tuesday, given that Trump is so far ahead and isn't really in any way contesting the Republican primary, would there be merit in the suggestion that she is in some way interfering with his rights? There could be. I mean, you could actually make that argument. It is an odd date to choose the day before Super Tuesday. There are around about 14 states that are going to cast their ballots on March the 5th in the Republican primary. And to therefore set a trial date of March the 4th does seem sort of ostentatious in in its action or in its intent. Trump, of course, is claiming that already, claiming that this does show how politicized the process is. Um, Chutkin has argued that essentially... Uh, Donald Trump's responsibilities as, or rights for that matter, as a presidential candidate are the same as the rights anyone would have to uh, conduct their job or their professional duties. In other words, she's saying, yes, I know that he has to do that, but the law comes first and the process of justice must be respected and expedited where possible. It does seem certain that the Trump legal team is going to try to push this date back a bit. If they were to not succeed, then particularly if Trump had got into trouble in the early primaries and caucuses, Super Tuesday would be a vital date. So for jury selection to begin in a criminal trial the day before would be really an extraordinary um, vista to, to look at. Yes, and Trump himself has blamed what he called, and I quote, a biased Trump-hating judge for setting this date. Now, she, Judge Chutkan, has warned him that any attacks on 
legal figures on herself will cause her to bring the trial forward. Mm-hmm. And people generally have said that we are entering dangerous territory, or American is, where a former president can issue threats and can talk in the way that Trump is talking. It is bizarre and it is unprecedented in the democratic world, isn't it? It really is. I I can't think of any obvious parallel to this at all. It's also unprecedented because of the point you mentioned a moment ago, the fact that Trump is obviously a candidate and the leading candidate for the Republican nomination. And I say that not only in general terms, but for a specific reason. Say, for example, Trump attacks Mike Pence, as he has done many, many times verbally or on social media. In doing that, is he acting as a presidential candidate who has obviously the democratic right to criticize his rivals for office? Yes. Or is he acting as a criminal defendant who is attacking someone who at least is believed to be a possible witness in a criminal trial against him? The reality is he's doing both those things. Yes. And so how do you balance those rights uh, against one another. That's one of the many factors that make this uh, really uh, fascinating as well as unprecedented. Reading The Hill this week, Niall, I did see an off-lead on the page, and it had Tucker Carlson saying, and I quote, we're speeding toward Trump's assassination. Mm. I take it that's authentic. I take it that that is Carlson's view. Carlson is a friend of Trump's, a close associate. Mm. He has left Fox News because of Trump and now had an exclusive interview with Trump last week, which he put out on what used to be known as Twitter and is now known as X. And it drew a huge audience. Over 200 million people are said to have watched it. We are, when you think about it, I mean, Trump has taken America into dangerous territory in terms of violence, hasn't he? There's no question about that when we re- reflect on January 6th. Yeah, I mean, January the 6th is an event without uh, obvious parallels since, I would say, the American Civil War. I mean, you have a uh, president who was, let's not forget, already impeached, though not convicted, for his role in inciting that riot. And he now, uh, as you know, faces criminal charges, as as we've just been discussing. The mere fact that you have those things on one hand, and on the other hand, him as the very, very clear frontrunner for a major party's nomination is uh, extraordinary. He's, for your uh, your listeners' information, He's about uh, 35 points clear of Ron DeSantis in the national polling averages of the Republican electorate. And when a, <clears throat> a matchup between him and Biden is posited in the polls, it's effectively a dead heat. Now, I know it's a long way out. I know lots of things can change. But you have a man impeached for inciting an insurrection, what many people believe was an attempted coup who is uh, the leading candidate for his party's nomination and a 50-50 shot to win back the presidency. Yes, and for someone of my age and younger indeed, it's not too long ago, 1968 I think to be precise, when Robert Kennedy and Martin Luther King were assassinated. And of course in 1963, President Kennedy was assassinated in Dallas. 
So the spectre of assassination is not unknown. And there was an attempt, of course, on Ronald Reagan to assassinate him. Yes, that's right. The uh, Kennedy example, not not to take us down a tangent, but uh, Hillary Clinton had a particularly inglorious moment back in 2008 when she was running against Barack Obama. At a, and this is one of the things that, frankly, I hold against Hillary Clinton somewhat. Barack Obama was a long way ahead in the Democratic primary, and Hillary Clinton was asked why she was continuing to contest when she had no real chance of winning. And she said, well, we all remember that in 1968, Robert Kennedy was assassinated in June. And the implication, which I and many others drew from that, was that she was holding on in case Obama would be shot, which uh, was quite a a, uh, thing to raise about a man who was at the time clearly the most serious uh, uh, black candidate for the presidency ever and subsequently became the first black president. Anyway, the point is that these notions of assassination are not, uh, you know, unfortunately, they're not rare in American politics. Tucker Carlson is raising, in in my view, a rather cynical fashion, the idea that there are sort of mysterious forces arrayed against Trump who have not been able to thwart him yet and so might go to the ultimate level. It's an argument that Tucker Carlson is making, I think, to further his appeal to Trump's uh, electoral base. Now, we are in a dangerous moment in American politics. I don't dispute that at all. The exact way Tucker Carlson framed that issue was um, rather uh, mendacious, in my opinion. Yes, and the fact that we're in a dangerous moment for American politics means, given matters elsewhere in China and Taiwan, in Russia, Ukraine, in Europe indeed, it's a dangerous moment for the world. That danger manifesting itself in the form of a Donald Trump presidency after all that he has engaged in, shall we say. There is another issue which I think our listeners would be interested in, and it concerns the age of some of the people prominent in Congress and indeed in Joe Biden's case, he is 80. Donald Trump is 77. And Mitch McConnell, who is the minority leader in the Senate now, was the majority leader, but the Republicans couldn't hold the Senate. He's had two bad moments in recent times in which in a public forum answering questions, he's what they've described as he freezes and he can't talk and has to be taken away. He is, I think, in his 80s, 81, he Mm -hmm. looks in in terrible shape. He was and has been very, very powerful and indeed instrumental in supporting Trump to get the Supreme Court, three Supreme Court judges, conservatives needed to turn that court into something that it wasn't before, shall we say. There's also Diane Feinstein, who is a, Senator from California, uh, San Francisco, I think. She's 90. And, you know, age is an issue now, isn't it? And and Nancy Pelosi, of course, also is cracking on, shall we say. Mm, no, absolutely. I mean, th- this has all been brought to a head, really, Eamon, by two separate factors. The McConnell freeze that you mentioned and the ongoing concern about Biden's age and, to a lesser extent, Trump's as the presidency looms. The, the Mitch McConnell freezes are very difficult to watch because he seems momentarily 
unaware of where he is or, or really anything about his surroundings. He's 81 years old, as you mentioned. He did have a bad fall and a concussion a while back from which he doesn't honestly seem to have fully recovered. Yes. Now, there's a separate but related issue where the Trump people, uh, particularly the ones in the House rather than the Senate, who tend to be a bit more hardline, don't like McConnell because of his well-known antipathy toward Trump. And so they're kind of pushing to get him out anyway. Um, but this does cross party lines. Diane Feinstein, the California senator and a Democrat who you mentioned, uh, it's, it's, that's a sad case, to be perfectly honest. Yes. I mean, Diane Feinstein has had a very uh, illustrious career going back all the way to San Francisco. Um, people might remember the movie Milk about Harvey Milk, who was assassinated, a first, yes. first gay man to hold office, I believe. Um, Diane Feinstein was on the scene when that happened. It was really her first sort of moment of national prominence. It is now uh, broadly accepted that she is cognitively quite impaired. And in fact, there was a recent instance in on Capitol Hill where she sort of, she, she was being called upon simply to cast a vote and she started making remarks and uh, a colleague had to whisper to her more than once I think the words was just say yes or just say I or something like that. Yes. It was an unfortunate scenario uh, coming at the end of what has been a very illustrious career. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Why do you think, I want to move on to President Biden in a moment. Why do you and other informed observers of this in Washington, why do you believe age is so important and no young, vibrant people 
are coming to the fore at the top of either party, Democrat or indeed Republican. We don't see a kind of politicians in waiting. No, that's right. I think part of the problem, Eamon, is that both houses of Congress, by their nature, reward seniority. So the people who tend to rise to the top tend to have climbed there over a long period of time, having not necessarily started in the first flush of youth in the first place. And that's why you have so many old uh, leaders in Congress like Mitch McConnell at 81. Charles Schumer is a bit younger than McConnell, but but no uh, no spring chicken. Yes, as he's they say. the Senate Majority Leader. He's from New York. That's right. Yes, yeah. absolutely. He's he's 72, so he is almost a decade younger than McConnell. But you know, not 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 a young man. The more puzzling scenario or situation, really, Eamon, is the the presidency and the fact that it's Biden and Trump who are dominant and, you know, nobody younger really coming close to knocking them off. Because remember, within, easily within our memory, you had Obama, who was in his late 40s, Bill Clinton, who was actually slightly younger, and George W. Bush, who was in his early 50s when he became president. Um, It just seems that since Trump was elected in 2016, it's been Trump and Biden and, of course, um, Hillary Clinton, who's no longer a young woman either. who have been the dominant figures. And I do think it causes uh, disquiet in two ways. One is among younger voters who feel that these people are out of touch. But the other one is is honestly from voters who might be Biden's age or Trump's age and think to themselves, I'm, I'm not too sure. How would I feel about having the uh, burdensome responsibilities of being president of the United States on my shoulders at this point in my life? Yeah, no, not to labor a point, Niall, But could it be that the nature of politics in the United States, in Washington, and indeed the deep divisions and the constant danger and febrile mood of the whole political stage, that would be a deterrent almost, wouldn't it? If You'd worry if a friend or a family member came to you and said, look, I think I'll run for the Senate or even for yeah. the presidency. No, I mean, that is a great point. I mean, there has, this, of course, links to what we have been speaking about uh, a few minutes ago. I mean, the, the fact that there are such active dangers for a start to politicians in this country uh, is now, I think, a disincentive for people to get involved. Then you have, aside from physical danger, the broader at- atmosphere of polarization And then, and I think you were sort of alluding to this in your question, you also have the fact that even to run for Senate, never mind president, you have to raise a vast sum of money. And the the way of the world is, unless you're a young entrepreneur, like say Vivek Ramaswamy, one of the lesser known uh, candidates for the Republican nomination this year, who's made his own money. But unless you're a guy like that, Older people tend to have a more well-developed donor network, as it's politely known in this country. In other words, people who will give them money. And younger people tend to find it harder to break into that. There can be, obviously, exceptions. I mean, uh, AOC, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, has had enormous success because she sparks such enthusiasm from young left-wing voters but she is genuinely exceptional. That is not by any stretch the rule. Now, speaking of money, Donald Trump has started selling his mugshot 
which was taken in Georgia when he showed up to plead and to formally be arrested, Georgia being one of the four places he is being charged and facing trial on. He's selling the mugshot, and this seems to be an unassailable fact and yet difficult one. Every time he is exposed misbehaves and is charged with criminal offence, actually, mm. his ratings go up and more money comes in. Yes, he, his fundraising has spiked in every single one of the four indictments or, or the related uh, arraignments in his cases. Uh, this and the mugshot are part of the same uh, fabric, Eamon, which is really the reality that Trump supporters see a completely different version of reality, in inverted commas, yes. to everybody else. And so you would think in a normal world that the mugshot of a former president who's seeking to return to the presidency would be politically fatal and at the very minimum a source of embarrassment. But the whole point of selling merchandise with that picture on it and, and sending fundraising appeals with that picture on it is to feed the belief of the MAGA people that Trump is being persecuted in some way or that this is a, a political bid to thwart his attempt to return yes. to the White House. And that's why it works, you know? Yeah, and I should say to our listeners that MAGA stands for Make America Great Again. Mm -hmm. If you look at it in the cold light of day, this is how I would describe it. I want you to tell me, and I know you will tell me because you're candid when I get things wrong. This cult of Donald Trump has taken hold of a, of a considerable portion of the Republican Party. Mm. And really, it has all the characteristics of a cult. Mm. And he is at the head of it, the heart of it. And that is not going to change. Is, is that a reasonable description of what we're looking at here. It's not only a, a reasonable description. What you have just said is an opinion not only held by uh, liberals in this country, but held by what I would describe as a sort of conservative intelligentsia in this country who believe that the Republican Party should be the party of conservative principle, be that low taxation, yes. strong national security, uh, conservative social values, and so on and so forth. And when I speak to those people in the course of my reporting, they often go back to a sort of lesser covered moment, which was that in the, the run-up to the 2020 election, obviously each party holds its national convention, the Republican National Convention decided that it would simply not have a policy platform, that there would be no officially sanctioned, this is what then President Trump would do if re-elected. And the working assumption, which I think is correct, is they didn't want to do that because Trump can change his mind on almost any topic at almost any moment. Yes. And the Republican Party by that stage had primarily become a vehicle for whatever Donald Trump wanted. And yes. that's, and that's I think, feeds into the critique that you're making, that it has just become 
uh, hostage to his whims and grievances and desire for vengeance against various people. Now, this former president, Donald Trump, is facing 91 criminal charges. How are the polls between him and the sitting president, Joe Biden? They're almost exactly even. They're, I was looking at these just uh, unrelated to our conversation yesterday. The recent polls have, there's one that has Trump up by one, there's one that has Biden up by one. Obviously, we're a long way out from the election. The takeaway from those polls right now is Trump and Biden are on level terms. Now, I was speaking to someone in the Biden campaign um, a couple of days ago. They're talking about the fact that they have just recently launched a $25 million yes. ad buy, making the case for the Biden presidency and for the Biden re-election. The hope among Democrats is obviously that that sort of thing can move those numbers from what I just outlined. But right now, it is a uh, 50-50 race between Biden and Trump. And despite the fact that I've steered this conversation in the direction of Trump because he's such a, a dangerous figure, it has to be pointed out that Joe Biden is 80. He is notably frail. He's fallen a couple of times recently, too. And he will be 86 if he's elected. That's six years' time. So whilst you could say many things about Trump, you can't say that he lacks energy or that he in any way, you know, looks frail or indeed bewildered. And there is another thing, of course, there's the whole Hunter Biden, Joe Biden's son, that whole, it looks like a scandal waiting to break. It's important to point that out, isn't it? I mean, mm -hmm. it is a factor. I don't know how much of a factor it mm -hmm. would be when people go to vote. Yeah, I think both those things, both Joe Biden's age and the Hunter Biden matter are important. The age is more important because it is a more widely shared concern. I, I can't remember if we if we mentioned this, but there was a poll earlier this week, 77% of Americans, I think we spoke about this often, 77% yes. of Americans believe Biden is too old to uh, serve a full second term. 77% is obviously way beyond the ranks of Republicans or ideological opponents of Joe Biden. There are clearly Democratic voters who are very concerned about that. The Hunter Biden matter is more, I would say, something that animates the Republican base at this stage. Uh, it, it would take a long time to explain. It's a very complicated business. But I do, in the summary version is Hunter Biden is pretty shady, and uh, not least because at one stage, while uh, about several years ago, he was getting paid about $50,000 a yes. month by a Ukrainian gas company while having no apparent expertise in gas exploration or anything else that is relevant. While his father was vice president. I, I, yes. So there is clearly anyone with common sense and fairness would acknowledge, I think, that Hunter Biden was trading off the family name. The question is, can wrongdoing on Joe Biden's part be proven? And that is one of the big questions that certainly Republicans in Congress will be, of course, aiming to answer and aiming to answer in the affirmative uh, in the next few months. Was there a phrase used in that conversation or around that conversation saying 10% is for the big man? 
the big the big guy. I the think it guy, was yes. it was some it was some phrase like that. I, be, I better not get my uh, my potentially Joe Biden and Ben Dunn, Charlie Hawkey um, <laughs> uh, lingo confused. But I think it was ten percent for the big guy in Hunter Biden's case. It has never yes. been proven who the big guy is, but naturally enough, people surmise. Okay. Well, as always, now we're very grateful to you for talking to us from Washington. I imagine, uh, just let me make a final, ask a final question of you, that the political world and the world of journalism that you operate so successfully in Mm. is engaged in this in a way that they wouldn't normally be, should we say. Sure. This is troubling. It's troubling, not so many people around here, but Mm. this is a vague thing out there. But, I mean, you guys are close to the scene. This is a very consequential election, isn't it? Oh, it is, absolutely. I mean, there is no question about that. It is probably it's such a cliche to say the most important election of our lifetime. But it's if it's not that, it's certainly very close to it. I mean, there is a very uh, obvious peril to American public life by the moment that we were that we are in, and it's an ongoing moment. And, you know, just um, just this week, Trump was asked in, a, uh, in an interview about his famous promise to lock up, or the chant to lock up Hillary Clinton yeah. that he made in, the 20, in 2016. And he replied that uh, you have no choice, was his rationale, to uh, lock your political enemies up, because in Trump's view, those enemies are coming after him. Um, I mean, this is the sort of language that yes. uh, we would never really have thought would emerge from American politics. No, uh, not not even those of us who can remember Richard Nixon, who was deemed to be a disgrace. Absolutely. I mean, he, yeah. he actually, in the end, stepped back and stepped down. He did. <laughs> Unlike the Proud Boys. <laughs> exactly. Thank you very much, Niall. As always, Niall Stanich reporting from Washington where he is associate editor of a very respected newspaper, The Hill. We're grateful to Niall, as always, to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.